You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, Thursday, June the 8th, back in TW11 today. Lovely morning as well. The sun's come out early today, and it's going to be a scorcher. I think it's going to be a very warm weekend as well, and hopefully the weather stays like this to Royal Ascot and beyond. Are we hoping for too much, I wonder? Meteorological conditions in North America are very much under the microscope today because the uh, smog or the the smoke from the, the wildfires coming down from Canada sitting over New York City at the moment means that the, the air quality is worse than anywhere else in the world. And training has been uh, called off at Belmont Park today, Thursday morning. They'll take a decision about racing this afternoon. Now, clearly, this could have an impact on the Belmont stakes. I'll be talking to a leading veterinary expert later about the impact of these conditions on horses' respiration and their well-being. And I think this will all have to be taken stock of by Naira as the final leg of the Triple Crown approaches. More of that in a few moments' time. Ascot, of course, as I said, just round the corner. And the the race I think that most people are really looking forward to is what looks a loaded Prince of Wales' stakes with potentially two stouts, Bay Bridge and Desert Crown. I mean, Emily Upjohn's still in there. You'd think she'd probably wait for the, the Eclipse, but Adar's there too. Luxembourg, it's an absolute belter. Uh, Rishi Passad is with me this morning. And Rishi, there was a piece in yesterday's trade paper, the, uh, the Racing Post, from their new market correspondent, David Milnes, that uh, had you raising an eyebrow. What did he say? Scintillating gallop, Nick. A scintillating gallop. And then in the second paragraph of the same article, it describes it as a dazzling gallop uh, by Desert Crown, last year's derby winner. With his old sparring partner, Solid Stone, um, he he blitzed him uh, on the Alba Hathri. And Desert Crown has been the subject of a, of a gamble since that gallop. Um, but for those of us of a certain vintage, it reminds us a little bit of Nashwan's gallop before he won the, the 2000 guineas and then the derby and had that glorious summer of uh, 89. And there was obviously Frankel's uh, infamous gallop where he galloped past a train uh, reportedly. I think it's quite exciting. I mean, whether it's, it's as quite as described as scintillating or, or dazzling, um, obviously, I, I mean, I, it's closely associated with no. I reckon there's three mile chasers that could gallop past the the, the, the train that goes from Newmarket to Cambridge. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? It's great. I love I love a little bit of this. I mean, for, I went for years. The idea of spotting you know Pegasus on the gallops has been you know such a such a drive and a uh, <laughs> a way to inspire people to get up early and go and have a a look for the next Pegasus. I am very excited by the prospect of what you raise at the top of the show. Mm. The fact that Adar, Desert Crown, Luxembourg, Bay Bridge, uh, Emily Opjohn. It wasn't ruled out in the immediate aftermath of the uh, of her win in the Coronation Cup by Prospero. I mean, it could be one of those races that we'll we'll look back on time and say, you know, we were lucky to 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 have been there. Well, uh, James Savage is the assistant trainer to Sir Michael Stout, and I put a call into him this morning and and asked him. He he was the man with the best vantage point of this of this gallop. He saw it all. Uh, what what really happened yesterday? Desert Crown did what we would be doing with all our Ascot horses yesterday, Nick. He just did a he did a, a loosen up of 
as we call it, worked, you know, six, one and a half. And it was it was just um, to put him where we want him for, for next week to, um, you, you know, to do some stronger work. It was, there was nothing that we needed. There was nothing there that we needed to see. It was just nice work. And he, uh, he moved well and Ryan was happy with him. Uh, yeah, just running the mill stuff really to get us where we where we need to be for next week. I mean, his his run of the mill is probably everything else is oh my god, that's that's work. Well, I mean, he is a good workhorse, isn't he? As a as a general rule, he he does his thing and, and looks looks pretty smart. Yeah, that's that, that, that's what he's done and what what he's always done. And you know, he he, he goes to his leaders, he moves up, and he he does his work, and then he looks at it, and and then he, that's what that's all we've ever asked from him, and that's all he's ever done. I mean. One of his nicest pieces of work last year was when we took him over to the race course side, watered gallop, and um, sometimes taking him somewhere different really can can sort of freshen him up and put something, put a bit, bit more of a spark into him. Hence why a lot of trainers use race course gallops to, you know, 10 days, two weeks before a big race. And that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Uh, to your eye, has he, has he tightened, done well since Sandown? Yeah, he's entitled to tighten up. You know, it's been such a long time before since he ran. There was a year, a year less a week, I think, almost. Um, so he he was entitled to to need the run, and um, and he's tightened up well. Um, physically, he's a lot tighter. So it, it, the the um, the race to Sandown served its purpose, and we were all very happy with the with his with his run. I mean, I think. Couldn't, you can't underestimate Hockham. He seems to be getting faster and a bit more speed about him now. And he's going to be a top-class horse at 10 and 12, I think. You know, the, the fractures that went early at Sandown and then the way our boy quickened to get to the front and go clear was, was very impressive, if you know, if you understand horse racing. Um, obviously, it's a disappointment in the feet, but when you look back at the race, you can only be happy with the way he ran. Um, uh, if you don't have a runner in the race, if the Stout team doesn't have a runner in a given race this season, to what extent do you do you cheer on Hookham for your your old mate Owen Burrows? You guys are quite quite tight, aren't you? Oh, yeah, he's a good friend and he's a very very good trainer. He's he's you know he's, he makes a joke. He's saying that he'd like to train other winners rather than group winners, but he's doing everything right. Um, and it, it, you know he's he's a top class trainer. And he's very meticulous and. He's, he brings them along quietly and slowly. Very much, I think he's taken a lot from Sir Michael and Sean Woods, who, he, who he's assistant to. And um, we, we all love to see him do well here. And uh, what he's doing with his with his old horses is particularly particularly good to see. And I think he's got some nice two year olds in the barn at the moment, so that'll be nice for him to do well. Um, you might end up. Um... So Michael might end up having to run Bay Bridge and Desert Crown in the same race in the Prince of Wales, as I guess if if, if all the connections fancy it. Um, what did you make of Baybridge's run at at the Curra, and do you think he'll he'll settle even better next time? I'm sure he'll settle even better. The, the step forward he took from France, France, he was nothing went right in France, and even even in the prelims, I said to Michael, you know, he was so just so buzzed and fresh, and he was kept really calm at the, in, in the in the Curra, and he was very quiet and easy to deal with earlier, and he just settled so much better. But it, look. When you look back at the race, Ryan had it so easy on the front. I mean, he gave it a really good ride. And we were we were out, even if we were out half a furlong earlier, which would have been nice. I, that horse just was quickening right through the line. I think Luxembourg is, you, you know, he's, he, he might have his critics when he gets beat. 
won his first run of the year, but he's a very, very good horse. And he's proven that on many occasions now. I mean, I thought he'd nearly win the arc last year, but there was just messy ground and he got stuck down there on the rail. He's um, he's going to be hard horse to beat, even like in a, in a genuinely run race. He's, he's, he stays that trip well. And so we were happy with Bay Bridge. I mean, just to... It didn't go perfect for us, let's be honest. And we needed, we, we probably needed more end-to-end gallop. But um, it's just such a high-class division this year, that 10 furlong, mm. furlong division. It's going to be so hard. And I sort of said to the guys that all these horses are probably going to take their turn very much like in a sprinting division. Um, Adair and Baybridge and Luxembourg, Desert Crown, you can go through them all. And that's before you throw in uh, overseas runners, you know. Um, it's, it's going to be very hard to win to, to win one or two of them races this year. It's going to be very hard. If if they both ran at Ascot, Baybridge and Desert Crown, um, and you were the man charged with riding either one or the other, with, and the the ground was the ground was on the quicker side of good, say the forecast carries on as it is at the moment. Who would you ride? If I if the ground was on, if the ground was good to firm. Genuine Ascot, good to firm. I would probably side with Desert Crown. If the ground was good, I would go with... I might be swayed either way. Where are we going to see Passenger next? Oh, that'll be a while, I'd say. Um, we, we just have to be careful now and do do what's right for him. Um, it was a hard thing to do to go from the Woodditton to the Dante, then to the Derby. So we'll just see how he is in the next week or so. He's cantering there now today. and um, we'll, we'll, we'll let him tell us... Um, you, you know, Scott might come too soon. I'm itching to get this nostrum back. Any sign of it? Yes, so we're looking at um, July meeting, the Sir Henry Cecil Stakes. Um, that would be the right place to go to get back going. Oh, I think uh, it's July the 13th or the 15th. Yeah, um, I know, I know the race. It's the, it's the race that Baid won. Yes, that's the race, yeah. James Savage, assistant trainer to Sir Michael Stout. Just, just um, keeping things real a little bit there, Richard. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, for anybody describing it as scintillating and dazzling, it's perhaps not quite the same uh, enthusiasm for, dis- for that description. But nonetheless, what we do know, I mean, you do get the impression, though, don't you, Nick, that Desert Crown has come on for that run at Sandown and that we'll see an improved model when he turns up at Royal Ascot, which is an exciting prospect were he to take on, you know, ADAR, Luxembourg, etc. Because... Um, the belief is that what we saw last year in the derby, I mean, I, I've spoken, you know, you know obviously I'm, I'm very good friends with Steve Mellish and he and I have spoken about this a lot, that, that we think that maybe Desert Crown is really a mile and a quarter horse. So it's a little bit of a concern to see Hookham sprint past him like that, but Hookham might have improved. Um, so hopefully he'll get a chance to show us what he's really capable of at, at Temple Longs in the in Prince of Wales. Um, and that would be something else. It's going to be a great race. And of course, I asked James Savage there, Rishi, about you know if the two horses ran in the race. We're working on the basis that Ryan Moore's on Luxembourg, Richard Kingscote on whichever, probably Desert Crown, if James is to be is to be believed. And then, then there's a, a ride free potentially if Baybridge goes as well. Who might be in line for that? Do we think? Well, um, just thinking out loud, Nick. Um... I know Sir Michael Stout, big fan of William Buick. He's used him before. William Buick will be on ADR. I think James Doyle might have one of the... Well, there are a couple of horses from the William Haggis 
stable involved. So it's possible he might ride one of those. I'm just looking at it here. And if Emily Upjohn doesn't run, then it's possible. So Michael Stout and Frankie right. go back a long yeah. way, don't they? Yeah, sorry. That's, I don't even know why I asked the question. It's like obvious. So, yes, I suppose if she doesn't run, it's 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 Dottori, isn't it, probably? Um on there but anyway there's it's going to be a it's going to be a lovely ride sitting up for somebody if if both mm. the horses take their chance and at the moment it's going to be a race run on quick ground as as james savage was suggesting there if the weather stays as it is is here i mentioned at the beginning of the program a very close eye on the weather in new york where the air quality is worse at the moment than anywhere else in the world could this have an impact on the belmont stakes rishi david grenning from the daily racing form he was the first senior journalist on the case here from from the racing media in the US uh, and he late last night posted a a tweet that said that today's training on the track at Belmont Park wouldn't take place because the air quality was too bad and that they would take a decision on today's Belmont card which has got a 305 post time this morning so probably by the time you've listened to this this podcast and it's prompted understandably animal rights campaigners like peter to say there's no way they should be racing on saturday so the pressure's ramping up there but not just campaigners against the sport but people within the sport as well there was a, a tweet from jamie roth this morning jamie lnj foxwood stables very prominent owners across the united states uh, and she said yeah, yesterday night it might not be a popular opinion which makes no sense to me but if it stays like this they have to cancel racing this weekend. It would be beyond cruel. I can't even walk my eight-pound dog today. How a thousand-pound animal is going to run with restricted airflow? And this is because of the wildfire smoke that's coming down from, from California. And forecasters say it could clear a bit the next day or so, but could come back with a vengeance at the weekend. Yeah, the um, 400 wildfires in, in Canada, Nick, that um, headed... Uh, towards New York. And someone also posted yesterday a video. I think Horse Racing Nation posted a video of of how it looks and visually it's it's worrying. Um and you can understand why the the, the Belmont uh, is under threat on, on the weekend. The, the the hard part for everybody involved in the decision making is exactly what will happen due to the winds. And you can't really be certain uh exactly what's going to happen. I mean there's a prediction. So obviously 150 air quality index is deemed unhealthy for everyone. Um, but there's a prediction that that may go down to 130 and possibly as low as 118 on Saturday, which would be good news. But it's also possible that it might go the other way. It's a case of, I think, having to be very adaptable to everybody on site to take the best decision for the health and welfare of all participants, the horses, the uh, uh, the humans. And you can't obviously expect crowds to to, to be subjected to that air quality either. So um, it's it's really important that they show the dexterity in their decision-making and, um, and and hopefully leave it as late as possible to make the right decision, come what may. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that racing at Delaware Park and Finger Lakes, which is just over 20 miles from Rochester, both cancelled on Wednesday because of the air quality and they won't resume until Monday at the earliest. So... As Rishi was saying, air quality index values above 100 mean unhealthy for sensitive groups and above 150 is unhealthy for for everybody. And Belmont Park had 130 on Wednesday. Now, we are working under HISA rules now, Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority. 
uh, across the vast majority of the United States. They say that each racetrack is required to develop, implement and annually review a hazardous weather protocol, including the implementation of a dangerous weather protocol, which includes for extreme heat and air quality. And HISA states, this is the important part, that if the AQI consistently reaches 100, the facility must be monitored daily to see if there is a cause for concern in the local area. And 150 to 174 means facilities should be closely monitored, potentially limiting training to jogging and gallops only. And 175 and above is cause for restricting activity of the track, but not limited to cancelling live racing, but cancelling everything. So they're on a bit of a knife edge here. We need a veterinary perspective on this. For that, a call up once again on Pete Ramsen, senior partner at Rossdale's in Newmarket, uh, one of the most esteemed veterinary practices uh, anywhere in the world that deals with thoroughbreds. Uh, and I began by asking Pete um, what sort of effect this smoke and, and heavy atmosphere could have on, on a racehorse. Morning, Nick. Um, yeah, Nick, so the, while the science is a little bit thin on the ground in respect of racehorses, uh, um, so not many sort of scientific studies about the actual effect of, um, uh, you know, inhaled smoke um, on, on performance and, and health, all, all, the, um, all the science in the human field and everything we know about asthma and low, lower airway disease in horses suggests that it's a bad idea to race horses when air quality is low because of smoke. I mean, there's the immediate effect um, where you can get damage to the lungs, poor performance, um, also some sort of anecdotal reports of bleeding um, or, or increased rates of bleeding, but probably more importantly, the longer term effects, you know, so when you inhale particles of a certain size, you inevitably kick off uh, some inflammation in the lungs that can be quite long lasting. So, so it is correct that um, that one wouldn't want to race horses um, in air that's affected by smoke. Given what thoroughbred racehorses are asked to do, and given the the complex cardiovascular system of a uh, of a horse uh, racing at a full pelt, is that likely to be an effect that is is exacerbated? Yeah, absolutely. So you know the exchange of um, oxygen uh, from inhaled air into the bloodstream in the racehorse. It's a really finely balanced thing. That's why so much attention is um, given to lower airway health why we always talk a lot about scoping in horses both for mucus and and for for bleeding in in the lower airways um and and anything that can upset that very fine balance you know the racehorse has evolved with this or, or been bred for its capacity for exercise and that means really high blood pressures um and oxygen tensions that when when they work well a, a you know, a really immaculate machine for transferring oxygen into the bloodstream and, and um, then to the muscles. Uh, anything that influences that negatively, such as, you know, poor air quality, for instance, or even upper airway pressures changing because of wind problems, that's when problems occur. So, it you know, it, it risks poor, not just poor performance, but but also longer-term effects uh, here. Pete Ramsan, their senior partner from Rossdale's in Newmarket. 
uh, on the potential threat to racing over the weekend in New York because of the wildfires in Canada. Our build-up to the three legs of the Triple Crown has been brought to you in association with Qatar Racing, who, fingers crossed, will saddle Caravel this weekend in New York and are expanding their global portfolio through the United States, as well as continuing their sponsorship activities and their racing and breeding operations throughout Europe. And we'll be heavily involved in Royal Ascot and, of course, in the continuing British Champion Series. Now, a big race at Royal Ascot is the Coronation Stakes. It's the big rematch between the Guineas 1-2, Morge and Tahira. Tahira went on to win the Irish Guineas. Dermot Well confirmed her on course for the rematch earlier in the week. Morge's trainer is Saeed bin Sarur. I asked him how she was getting on. She's doing well. I mean, she worked five days ago, the last piece of work for her. And she look, uh, she's come back from uh, from the race really in good condition. That's we uh, give her a break after the race. Just she missed um, uh, Irish Guineas. Uh, this is the plan before really. Then um, she's doing well. She's in good form. And now we're looking uh, to run her at Ascot. So well, you were never really tempted to run her in Ireland then? Well, I mean, it was obviously, but like, I mean, what I like to do with her, because she's tiny and skinny, Vinny, you know, you, you uh, give her a break between races. And uh, it was too close, too short, too close to, to, to Irish races. Then um, we thought maybe um, uh, the, the Ascot race is going to be uh, easy. I mean, uh, suit her better than we run in Ireland. You say she's, she's small, small she is, but she's very, very tough. Uh, did she... Did she take the race well? Did she take the guineas well? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is what she do, we do with her after every race. Even when um, she won last year here in, in England, uh, we give her breaks. Even in Dubai, we do the same with her. Then we try, we give her from uh, when she won the Jumeirah race, the guineas, we give her a, a big uh, gap between the races. Then we bring her straight to the guineas. That's how she lost, you know, because she's tiny. Sometimes she lost some weight. Then you have to look after her, give her time to recover from the racing. I noticed that later in the in the year, you've got a couple of entries for her over over a bit further. Are you keen to Are you keen to try her over over ten furlongs at some point? Yeah, I mean, if you look at her pedigree, she's like a, see the next one, she's like a sprinter. But the way she trains, she um, she's a miler. Could be she maybe go up a mile and a quarter. Saeed, you've got you've got many entries at, at Royal Ascot. Aside from Morge, who are you most looking forward to running? Well, I mean, like what you see now in, in my stable, there is no stars, but a few of them there are well. Like I mean, uh, he Gali, he worked yesterday. He's a handicapper racing, you know, and um, type of um, light and dark, you know, this uh, shiny blue. You know, white moonlight, this type of horses could be, they have a chance, but they're good enough to run. Right, Rishi, there he is, your old pal Saeed bin Sarur. Morge mm. versus Tahira, round two. How do you bet? I think Tahira will win, Nick. I, I, I yeah. personally, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a pretty clear-cut case in her favour. If you look back at the way the Guineas was run again, um, I think Tahira did really well to to get to Morge, as she did. Um I thought, obviously, Morge put up a tremendous performance in winning the race, but the pattern of the way the race unfolded favoured Morge more, I think, than Tahira, especially when considering that Tahira was having her first run. And again, reading between the lines of what Dermot Weld had said in the lead-up to the race, she wasn't going to be 
cherry ripe. Um, and I know some people thought her performance in the Irish guineas slightly flattered by her positioning through the race. But just looking back at all the races that were run at the Curra that weekend, I think having the lead on the rail was a massive plus. And she actually broke the mould for the weekend and actually having to make up a little bit of ground. Um, so I think we're talking about an exceptional filly. And I think she's just a more talented filly than Morge. Um, but I hope it's a great race. I hope it's a great race. But I, I, I personally believe that Tahira wins comfortably. Uh, Richard, I and mean, worth saying, while Saibin Suru says he hasn't got that many stars, but they're they're running well, they are. The strike rate is good. The other branch of the Godolphin operation, unusually for them, Charlie Appleby, as has been pretty well noted, is having a bit of a dip in form, just nipping along at a at a a rather tepid seventeen percent since the beginning of May. A couple of big disappointments, obviously, um, none more so than military order in the in the derby itself. Eternal Hope, who they supplemented, never landed a blow in the Oaks. Um, and Hurricane Lane, obviously the ground might have been the big thing for him. But, you know, those three big runners all all blew out at, at Epsom as well. So I think it's been also he hasn't had a winner uh, in Britain since since May. So um, question marks for him. Um, but he does have a great strength and depth in his team. And it's possible for it all to turn around very quickly. But I'm sure... Uh, he will know um, better than us that things aren't aren't going great at the moment, um, which is obviously not the usual way. I mean, the one thing I, I, I've sort of been saying is that last year they operated at a pretty high strike rate, especially with the two-year-olds. They had the advantage of a very dry spell uh, for the uh, for the majority of people uh, training two-year-olds where they had their own gallops and so their horses were cleaning up. Uh, in comparison to everybody else, um, that advantage probably has has gone. Uh, so a few question marks for Charlie Appleby, but I'm sure Royal Ascot might um, provide a, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Well, if you were listening to yesterday's show, you'll have heard me talking to Dr. Jim Walker, who owns Subjectivist, who won the Gold Cup two years ago, has returned from injury, and he has high hopes that he might regain his crown. If he's to do so, there are some exciting horses who may not have quite reached their peak standing in his way. One of those is Coltrane, who you know quite a lot about now, but has taken his game, it seems, to a new level this season for Andrew Balding. He runs in the colours of Mick and Janice Mariscotti. Uh, Mick's with me now. Mick's been on the podcast before. You've heard all about his fantastic bargains uh, at the sales, uh, horses that have gone on to stakes wins from uh, pretty humble origins. And Mick, it, it looks like Coltrane might end up being the jewel in your crown. Um, how excited are you? Yeah, we, he's, certainly, um, he's certainly currently the jewel in our crown. Um, and he's, um, he's done us proud over the last, uh, certainly over the last 12 months. Uh, and just going into Ascot with a horse that is vying for favouritism for the most prestigious and historic race that there is at the meeting just for you and for your ownership journey just try and tell me what that that means to you and Janice uh well it's quite scary really it's it's new territory for us we we run in group one races but we've never won a group one race um and likewise for Coltrane he's he's probably the the form horse in the race based on his last uh, 12 months performance um but he hasn't done it at group one level and there are other horses in the race who have so it's uh, it, it's lovely to be there um but it's a bit daunting to be um to be favorite 
it's quite difficult to know exactly what to make of his win in the in the key Ascot trial for this, the the, the Cigaro stakes, because you can interpret the form in lots of different ways. Do you and, and, and Andrew Balding, the trainer, believe that it, it was a, a sign of, of improvement during the close season? Um, yeah, yes. I mean, our expectations going into that race is that he would show that he needed the run and would, in fact, need another run before the Gold Cup. So it was a surprise to us, a pleasant surprise to us, uh, that he performed so well. Um, but uh, it was the Cigaro. It's not the same as uh, as the Gold Cup. Um, but it proves he likes the course. I mean, he's, he's, uh, his record on the course is two out of three, and he's won over the distance, albeit in a handicap. So, um, so it gave us a lot of confidence, and it gave us enough confidence to, to feel he didn't need another run um, before the Gold Cup. We had a great chat last year about your purchasing policy with these horses. This, this seems to be absolutely textbook, Marascotti. Uh, book one, so a good pedigree from Tattersalls, good consigner, pretty... Pretty nice model, but 50,000 guineas. And I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking, how's he done it again? Yeah, <laughs> we say that every year. I mean, we do... We- last two years we've managed to get all of our horses bought in book one uh, which is remarkable because we're buying um, at a price that's well below uh, the median well below the average Um, and we've been fortunate enough that um, some of them have turned out to be good buys not all of them of course but we, we are uh, the recipient of some very good advice from the Balding team, Emma Balding, Andrew Balding and Tess Etherington, and we listen to the advice. I think that's the secret. And it's advice that served you extremely well. Uh, roll on, Ascot. All the very best. Thanks so much for talking to me, Mick. Thank you. All right. Well, the astrologist has taken an unusual route to Royal Ascot. Dubai then came to the UK Uh, Been stabled here, has had a run at York, goes to Haydock this weekend and then perhaps onto the Royal Meeting itself. Co-trainer Troy uh, Corstens joins me now. Uh, Troy, how's the whole whole adventure progressing from, from your standpoint? Oh, it's good, Nick. He's uh, he's a horse that requires quite a lot of racing down down here in Australia. We we don't miss him. Uh, he, he he takes a lot of out of his runs, and uh, he always gets better going into a further into a campaign. So was that the thinking really behind taking him from Dubai, bringing him here, and then just conditioning him, conditioning him on the track? Yeah, exactly. He had, he had quite a lot of time off in between Dubai and where we wanted to get him. Obviously, we want to get him to Ascot next week. Um, and there was eight weeks between uh, Dubai and, and his first up run. Um, and he just really needed that. And so when he when he went to dubai I, I remember there being a sort of a feeling that he might just be a little bit overmatched but not a bit of it he ran a, a tremendously good race what were your expectations going into that oh we were quite confident that he'd run really well obviously it's very hard to line them up against uh, you know such good horses coming from uh, from europe and and in dubai obviously uh, but we we were we were wrapped with his run and uh, we thought he did an excellent job and sometimes we assume that the very best sprinter in Australia is going to translate to be the best of the group that comes over, say, say for Royal Ascot. It doesn't always follow that way. What do you think your horse has got in his armoury relative to some of the other Aussies? Uh, 
Oh, he, he's really tough. I think that's his uh, greatest attribute. Uh, he's got a big heart and he tries very hard. He's, he's far from the best sprinter in Australia. I think, uh, uh, you know, it's been, uh, I've gone on record saying I probably think he's a group two, uh, really solid group three sprinter in Australia. But he tries every time that he goes out and uh, he's just, he's a horse that uh, naturally has a real crack. And for you personally, how important has, has this horse been? Uh, people who, who don't know you won't know that you had a, a pretty awful accident last year that's taken a, a long time to recover from. Uh, how important has this horse been in, in helping your recovery? Oh, he's been great. He's, uh, I think he, you know, any trainer uh, in the world would, would like a horse as him, and that's what we all strive to uh, to get as, as many of them in, in our stable as we can. But he has been good. I, I, it was uh, it wasn't a fantastic accident. I, I fell off a bike and uh, got a his head injury, and it's taken me quite a, a, a to get over that. And um, but I'm through it now, and I'm, I'm on the I'm on the good side of it. And he's definitely helped and uh, looking forward to uh, the next part of the story. And when are we going to see you, uh, Troy? Are you going to be here for Ascot? 100%. I can't wait. I get over there next weekend. So uh, I'm a week away from coming. Troy Corson's there. And before him, Mick Mariscotti with high hopes for success at Royal Ascot with Coltrane. We just need a tip for today and beyond. Rishi Passad is still with me. Rishi, what do you got for me? I can't believe you didn't ask Sidebin Sir about White Wolf Nick in the 820 at Chelmsford tonight. Um, I think he's got a big chance. He ran at York um, in that big mile quarter handicap early on at the meeting, at the, the Dante meeting. And the race developed in the wrong part of the track, really, for him when they turned in the straight. He had nothing really to, to tow him into the race. He was travelling quite well, finishing effort, a little bit iffy, but he had some good form at Maidan um, earlier in the year. And I can't believe the run at York was his, his real. Uh, was the real White Wolf, and I'm hoping for a, a much better effort today. Richard Kingscott's taken a ride in the 8.20 at Chelmsford. Richie, thanks so much. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume your pods, and uh, we'd be very grateful for it. It kind of helps us out with all sorts of things. And we will, fingers crossed, see you again tomorrow. That was Thursday, June the 8th. There was no smoke without fire. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.